0: computer initialize hollow suite hollow media and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Andrew, and I will be joined by my good buddy Matt this week, uh, who unfortunately seems a little distracted working on his old hunk of junk car. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pry him away to uh, talk Star Trek this week. So uh, Matt, uh, what do you think? Maybe uh, put down the uh, hydro spanner or like a uh, some sort of sonic <laughs> wrench or something? Could you put it down and talk a little Voyager with me?
1: Oh, come on, man. I've got like a like a 20, 22nd century shuttle here. Like it's a beauty. Yeah. I got to I can't put down the coil spanner. I got to keep working on this thing. It's a, it's going to be it's going to be so nice when it's done. You won't even it's going to be so cool. I'm going to be like the coolest guy in the sector.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and uh, it is uh, I mean, somewhat uh, cause for celebration, I suppose. This is our 60th episode of RTR. Uh, which I guess isn't really a big deal. Um, if we were living in a base 12 society, then, uh, you know, 60 would be like the new 100, right? We would be kind of uh, cracking the champagne and celebrating. But uh, I guess, unfortunately for us, the uh, the Mesopotamians didn't get their way. And uh, we're more base 10, so 40 episodes to go before we can really crack into the good stuff, I'd say.
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe it's already been 60 episodes, but here we are.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't seem like I'm getting very much better at these uh, recalls because (laughs) I think that uh, if you kind of go back a fortnight, it it would appear that I maybe did a little switcheroo. And I even knew it when I was going through it, but it happens and sometimes you just kind of have to throw up the Hail Mary. Mine sailed over everybody's hands and into the end zone. So why don't you just get this part of the episode over and give me a ranking out of five hunks of junk.
1: Well, you got this one mixed up with Unimatrix Zero uh, because you talked about it being a 7 of 9 episode where she's in this, like, Borg virtual world and there's, like, drones from all these different cubes and chips that are in this virtual Borg world. And um, so, yeah, like, it was pretty much, like, spot on what Unimatrix Zero was, but unfortunately this is Alice. So, um... Classic switcheroo. We've both done it more than once. So um, if you'd picked out Unimatrix Zero, you probably would have gotten four or five. But uh, this is Alice, so unfortunately, I'm gonna have to give you zero hunks of junk out of five. But I guess it's hunks of junk, so it's not the worst.
0: It's fitting, yeah. I uh, I, I was as I was explaining it, there was a couple of things that c- kind of clicked with me. One was the fact that. I don't think that Alice actually was the name of Seven of Nine in that episode. It kind of came to me after I had already started. And then as I was going through it and kind of explaining it, I was thinking, oh, wait, this is not one episode's worth of stuff. This is two episodes worth of stuff oh, wait, this is one of the most famous Voyager episodes of all time that I'm explaining, and I just kind of had to own it. So um, this, of course, is uh, from Season 6, Episode 5. It originally aired back on October 20th, right before the Millennium, 1999. It had guest stars Claire Rankin as Alice, uh, as well as the Alien. I don't know if you picked up on that, but we'll talk about it in a second. And John Fleck as Abaddon, the flea market guy, the junkyard uh, dealer, I guess. It was written by Julianne Delane and directed by our old friend, David Livingston, who we have pulled more than once. Uh, If you were like me and you got all jumbled, you can't remember what this episode was all about, well, it's a little fitting because uh, as we kind of enter into the shopping season here right before Christmas and the holidays, Voyager is looking to do a little shopping of their own at Abaddon's Junkyard. They get some pretty good deals and they use Neelix's experience as a trader to wheel and deal, but Ensign Paris has his eyes set on a small, single-person ship that he can fix up. Chakotay agrees so long as he does all the work himself and he doesn't affect his work. Paris immediately falls in love with the tiny ship and begins the process of fixing and cleaning it up. Eventually it becomes a bit of an obsession, even so far as to having hallucination that the ship is a real person. Things escalate when Paris starts wearing a specialized spacesuit and stealing parts from Voyager in order to put it into his pet project. Belana shows some concern and is rewarded with the ship attempting to kill her. Paris freaks out and makes a run for it. It turns out that the ship's neural interface is very much like an addictive drug and it affects the pilot. Luckily, the doctor makes the save and the tiny ship is destroyed in a plasma stream. All right, Matt. Now, I am kind of kicking myself a little bit here because uh, as the listeners probably know, I have recently kind of completed Voyager and this is season six. So I have seen this one relatively recently. Uh, I think that it's one that sticks out. Um, I don't really remember the first time that I had seen it, but I think that this is probably a pretty good prototype for just like a plain pretty solid Voyager episode. Like, I think that if you wanted to show somebody what Voyager is all about, but you, you know, didn't necessarily want to show them one of the classics, this one is like a pretty middle of the pack kind of, uh, episode, but it definitely has some memorable parts. Do you have any kind of overall, uh, memories of this particular one or any, any like, you know, Lovelorn, uh, kind of memories of it, or is this kind <laughs> of just another one that's, you know, in, in the, the gambit of episodes?
1: I think it sticks out for me just because it's a very unique premise where you have this this ship that has kind of a consciousness and a personality that kind of takes over a member of the crew. That's not really something that you've seen elsewhere. So yeah, it it it, it sticks out for me because of the premise. It's pretty pretty interesting and pretty unique, but as far as the episode itself, like I agree that this is kind of a you know, like an above average but still kind of run-of-the-mill episode of Voyager. Like, it's it's pretty solid, but it's not, like, super classic or anything.
0: Yeah, and I, I would agree. I think that uh, the only real piece of information that I got, and it was actually you that had pointed out, was that this is Julianne Delane's only writing credit. And I didn't mention it at the top, but it actually did have uh, not a writing credit, but, uh, like, a what do you call it, like a storyboard credit or like a like a, a touch-up credit kind of thing um, with a couple of, like, mainstay Voyager writers. So it, it definitely does kind of maybe... Inc- maybe this was like a fan submission or like they found this story on a cocktail napkin or something. Like um, it is a little strange that, you know, you would only ever write one thing. And then it was like this random episode of Voyager. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you think maybe this was a fan submission?
1: It's certainly possible. Cause when I looked at Julianne Delane's like, uh, not her IMDB, but on like memory alpha, like that, this is it. That's all there is. There's nothing else. There's no other writing, no other anything. So I wonder if it was, like, a fan or maybe, like, an intern who, like, did this one thing and then just never, like, they never became a writer for whatever reason. But, yeah, it was kind of odd to see, I mean, a writer get a credit like this for an episode, but nothing else. Right? Like, it's not even, like, there's, like, a smattering of them on other shows here and there. Like, there is absolutely nothing.
0: Right, and uh, so she gets the story credit, but then the teleplay, that was the word I was looking for, uh, is Brian Fuller and Michael Taylor. So, I mean, those are two Voyager heavy hitters. So I'm assuming that they got the idea, the story from her, and then they formed it into a the Voyager mold, I guess. Um, so yeah, it could be in a fan submission. This is kind of, I guess, getting close to the end of when that was a thing, right? By the time you get into enterprise and most certainly with the new stuff, they're definitely not taking fan submissions anymore.
1: Well, not overt, not overtly anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah, now now it's like uh, you know, Star Trek lover 69 from the forms gets a uh, credit because somebody has gone through and read their, uh, their theories about uh, who Michael Burnham is and uh, what the burn is and all these different things. So I wonder if you're, you're probably right there. they may be getting stuff from fans, but it's more from like Star Trek forms and from Reddit and from Instagram and stuff, which is maybe not the best idea, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the
1: case. It sounds very like snakes on a plane. Like, I mean, wasn't oh, that like yes. whole movie basically like essentially written by people on the internet answering like polls and stuff? <laughs> yes,
0: they they took a bunch of polls and a bunch of things, made a movie, and I think they got, what, one good line out of it? Maybe two?
1: I haven't seen it, so I don't actually know, but I know the, I know the one line you're talking about.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I think <laughs> that the... I think the fact that they never really tried that again is probably a good inclination that it's not the best way to go about making media.
1: I would say that's maybe not uh, the best way, no.
0: All right, every once in a while, Matt, when we do these episodes, you get these nice little, little Easter egg things. It wasn't very long ago where we were talking about Tuvok's 100th birthday, uh, remember with the purple shimmery cake and everything um, is only a couple episodes ago and now we are into another episode where Tuvok's age is kind of the brunt of the joke um, <laughs> and we have our episodes starting here with Paris and Kim and everybody trying to guess Tuvok's age and based on my calculation I think they're way off they're kind of into the mid late 100s um, but I think that This is not that far off of that episode we last watched, so he should be right around 100, I think.
1: Yeah, because Janeway said that he was getting close to the triple digits, and he didn't argue with her, so you would think that she was correct?
0: Right. Now, I did do a little bit of digging around, and one of the things that I found was that he would have been around 110, 111 at this point, um, which... I guess makes sense but then that episode with the silvery purple cake was fury which was episode 57 of rtr and that was season 6 episode 23 so maybe janeway was wrong or maybe the thing that i read was wrong but he's definitely closer to 100 than paris and kim's guess
1: maybe janeway was like mistaken but he didn't want to admit it
0: right like that that is the whole joke i suppose well yeah he
1: doesn't want to admit his age right yeah so it's like okay if you want to believe i'm like 98 or 99 then okay fine i'm cool with that it's the whole thing where like someone if someone guesses you're like 10 years younger than you actually are you're gonna be like oh yeah okay i'm (laughs) i'm 25 not 35
0: Yeah, we all have like that that person that we work with who's on their 8th 39th birthday you know
1: Maybe Tuvok just really liked that flavor of cake, and he was like, yeah, that's like the traditional, like, hundred-year-old hundred Vulcan cake, so, like, just keep them coming.
0: Maybe it wasn't even his birthday, but he was like, <laughs> eh, I'm not going to turn down a free cake.
1: He does have kind of a crooked sense of humor.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, so that we got a fake out here, right? So there is this fleet of ships that is not very far away they kind of stumble into them but it's not really a fleet of ships it's a fake out it is abaddon's repository of lost treasures and uh we get kind of this teaser that's not really a teaser i don't think i think that it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit lackluster i think so Um, it's it's not something I don't think that leaves people you know itching for more after the the opening credits we just kind of see like oh it's a junkyard and and we we go to credits
1: well uh, I thought them guessing Tuvok's age was kind of funny and when I when this Abaddon guy like first came on the screen and was like welcome to my repository of lost treasures I wrote down is this guy a Ferengi
0: yeah, he's like the Delta Quadrant uh, yeah, equivalent. Yeah, because he
1: really, he, you know, it wasn't just the fact that he was, like, trying to sell them or trade them stuff, but just sort of, like, the demeanor and the, like, charm that he was sort, sort of working on them. You know, right from the start, it was like, oh, this guy's, this guy's like, he, he wants something from them.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because you get a couple of different uh, takes so he he's kind of butters Neelix up. Oh, you're a man of commerce, I can tell that uh you know you would have uh you would have been like a great dealer and stuff. And then at one point Harry Kim says, "This guy's got more technology than the Borg." But then Seven of Nine's like it's all junk. So it's it almost kind of shows how gullible some characters are but others aren't. Like Seven isn't buying it, but Harry Kim's like, "Wow, look at all this great stuff." Uh I think that that's kind of an interesting way to go about it that's not obviously not what the episode is about at all but i like that they kind of kept those character beats Um, and i actually almost wonder: do you think that neelix maybe should have been a little bit more savvy when it came to trading and commerce and stuff should that have been part of what his character ended up being or do you think that he is what he is he's just a cook and that's good enough
1: see the thing about neelix that i i was thinking about this quite a bit actually is that i think they did a good job of giving him things to like multiple things to do and multiple things that he's good at but they didn't go too far with it and make him like the swiss army knife right like he's the cook and he's the morale officer and he's like the diplomat but
0: the babysitter
1: (laughs) the babysitter yes very important job uh on voyager but they didn't give it they didn't take it too far to a point where it's like well he can just solve anything because he's neelix and he's you know, the jack of all trades, and he knows how to do all this stuff. Like, I think they sort of kept some limits with him, which I think was a smart thing to do. Because if you make him an expert at everything, then it's like, well, what do you need the rest of the crew for?
0: Yeah, that that is true. And you know what, sometimes it's good to have somebody, like, you know, the saying, jack of all trade, master of none, like, that's kind of the Neelix character, right?
1: Yeah, it, in a way, yeah. There Because he does, there are a lot of things that he he can do, but he's not necessarily the best at everything. Except, well, the cooking. I guess it depends who you ask.
0: <laughs> True. It seems like it's kind of like a weekly dependent, right? Wasn't
1: there one episode? Wasn't there one episode where like everyone was like revolted by something he cooked, and Ensign Kim was like, "Can I have seconds?" Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, I guess taste is in the eye of the beholder, kind of thing. It's subjective. But I mean, this whole episode and everything that is going to to happen here is all based around a very human classic trope, right? This is of course like the the guy who's going to fix up the old hot rod, right? Like we have seen that since forever, right? Like I always remember remember home improvement, they're always working on the hot rod in the garage.
1: They worked on that hot rod for like 7 years or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we're going to get the science fiction version of it. So, uh ensign paris is going to he convinces chakotay that they're going to get this little one man flyer he convinces them you know like this is going to be useful we're going to need it i'm going to fix it up and it's going to be great uh do you think that that is a good idea for a science fiction crossover connector or do you think that they're literally watching old episodes of home improvement and they go ah, oh, well you know if tim allen can fix up something then tom paris can fix up something
1: Well, personally, I'm. I'm not, like, a car person, so I don't really think that... I don't like it a lot, just as in general. But if they're going to do it in a science fiction way on Voyager, like, Tom Paris is the guy to do it. Because throughout the series, like, that's who he is. He's the, I don't know, the grease monkey, I guess you could say. Because there's, you know, the 37s, where they find that, like, floating truck and they, like beam it in the cargo bay and he's like oh yeah this is like a 37 ford with the you know you know six horse you know however many horsepower and all this and that and he knows all that stuff so i mean if they're going to do it paris is the guy to to have get over over excited and you know over involved in fixing up this like derelict piece of junk looking ship I don't particularly li- like it per se, but I, they chose the right person to do it. Like if Harry Kim was like, Oh, look at that cool looking ship. Like maybe we should fix it up. Like I'd be like, why is Harry Kim in- interested in fixing up a ship? But if it's Tom Paris, it, it works perfectly.
0: And, and, and Paris had that holodeck program where he had the old muscle car and he was always working the on it. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. The Camaro <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so it fits, right? Um, the weird thing about this is that uh, Chicote says that uh, Voyager has a full supplement of shuttles. And I was thinking, like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, you definitely don't. You guys blow up more shuttles than, uh, like, any other ship. So I'm kind of surprised that this isn't something, you know, a, a good opportunity maybe to kind of replenish some of the... The, the kind of problems that Voyager always had, right? Early on in Voyager, they were always talking about how, like, we've only got 42 photon torpedoes left, and we've only got uh, six shuttles left. This could have been a great opportunity for the writers to kind of be like, oh, you know what? This is where they, like, restocked. And so now those super nerds like you and me that are kind of counting and be like, well, technically, you actually only have this many photon torpedoes left they could be like oh no we replenished back in that episode Alice don't you remember um do you think that was a missed opportunity
1: I thought it was hilarious when Chicote said we have a full complement of shuttles I was like really you blew up like <laughs> like like several in the first couple of episodes <laughs> I find that hard to believe I I think it makes sense that over the course of the series because we I mean there's only so much that we actually see like I didn't have a hard time with them saying like oh Like, at the beginning, yeah, you're right. They only had, like, whatever, 40 photon torpedoes. It does make sense that somewhere along the the line, they would have been able to, you know, gather the parts or whatever materials necessary to make more. Um, But shuttles are kind of different. You can't just, like, replicate a shuttle. I feel like that one was kind of a little bit harder to believe that they would be able to replenish them as quickly. So this kind of would have been an interesting... Way of, you know, because they're at this huge junkyard. Like they could have been like, oh yeah, if we have, you know, if we trade for these parts over here and we replicate these parts here, like we could probably build a couple new shuttles because we got all the parts here in this junkyard, right? So yeah, it would have been interesting if they'd kind of taken that angle and maybe been like looking for stuff like that instead of just using like generic terms like, oh, we're gonna trade for a power relay or a power cell, you know? Like it, it would have been interesting maybe if they'd sort of went for more specific kinds of things rather than just sort of generic items
0: it was actually a kind of a missed opportunity to use voyager as a patchwork kind of ship it would have been really cool if like as the seasons went on voyager started getting hull sections that were you know welded onto the side of it and they had like a kazon shuttle and uh whatever kind of shuttle that they found and they had the flyer and then they had an old uh, Starfleet one, like it should have maybe seemed a little bit more desperate their 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 trip back. Um, And I think if they had taken that approach, it would have maybe been interesting, but I mean, that's obviously not what it's about, right? This is just kind of like the weekly episodes and we're just kind of expected to just be in on this one particular thing and not think about the rest of it.
1: I think that's what some of the writers wanted to do. Someone higher up was like, no, no, keep the ship looking like clean and, you know, uniform Starfleet looking like we we want it to look good. We don't want it to look like this patchwork, you know, mess of mishmashed parts. Um, And I think that would have been kind of neat to because, I mean, you would think that over time they would have had no choice but to start doing that.
0: Yeah, well, I think that uh, they wanted it to be very much like The Next Generation, right? Where you're going to kind of bounce in and out of episodes and you can just kind of watch this one or five weeks from now and they're not really connected together and you just kind of watch it as an hour of, of television, which, I mean, I get.
1: Before we before we move on from that one scene, there's just one thing I want to say real quick. So when when Paris is like, you know talking to Chakotay about getting the ship, he's like, sir, you won't regret this. I wrote down, Chakotay will regret this. (laughs) You called it. So I just wanted to point that out.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and that's just it, right? So this ship is not just a regular run-of-the-mill ship. It has this neural interface, which it makes me wonder, you know, should they not check out the neural interface or have the doctor maybe go in and do a check of it because this is not the only time that this has happened. Like I mentioned, there is that episode, The Game, from Next Generation, where basically it almost even looks the exact same and it eventually turns into kind of like a drug-like addiction. Uh, should that be Starfleet protocol going forth that uh, anytime it's a neural interface, they have to kind of do a double check and make sure that it's not, you know... Gonna be dangerous, I suppose.
1: Well, yeah. You'd think anything that's gonna be mind altering is probably something that they should like run testing on and and so on. Yeah, that it was kind of odd that they were like, "Oh yeah, Tom, just go play around with this thing that's gonna be messing with your mind. Like, no big deal. We're well, we we trust your ju- we we trust your judgment. <laughs> yeah, they they totally should have been." Tear, like taking that thing apart and figuring out what makes it tick, and then putting it back together again.
0: What do you think of the ship? Because I know that you have a penchant for, you know, model ships, and the Star Trek ships are kind of close to your heart. Do you feel like this is a little bit too a wingish, or do you think that this is kind of a cute little, you know, Star Trekky kind of homage to like a little like motorcycle or a little kind of. Uh, hot rod like the has all the curves and looks really cool
1: um i thought it was okay it was it wasn't like i didn't look at it and thought it was really bad i didn't think it was terribly great i I did like the transformation though from like that really dirty really kind of run down looking ship to when like paris like cleaned it up it i i thought that the way that they made it look old and neglected versus once he cleaned it up i thought that was really good True. Yeah. I um, and it was kind of an interesting color. Like it was kind of like a almost teal green color, which you don't see much. Kind of
0: Romulan. Lee.
1: Um, oh yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I thought the ship was okay. I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was great.
0: There was an old video game that I used to play called Aegis Wing, and you basically you were in like a little one-person fighter, and it's almost kind of like uh, asteroids or something where. You know, you had to kind of go around, you shoot these little beads, and it very much looked like that. It's a, it's a pretty generic kind of look for a ship, but you definitely could tell that, you know, if you were a pilot and you wanted something that was fast and could kind of get into all these nooks and crannies and really kind of move quickly, especially if it got down onto the planet level, like that ship would be the thing, right? It's, it's the equivalent of a motorcycle for us, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, so then the other
0: half of it, really, I mean, I guess is just the fact that it the person who sold it, so this Abaddon guy, um, he's not really what he seems. And of course, all the stuff that they traded for ends up being a bust. Uh, all except, you know, the Chekhov gun crystal that Neelix recognizes or Seven of Nine recognizes is actually worth a lot of money and that, you know, if he had known, he would never have traded it. What were your thoughts kind of on the secondary part of this episode? Did you think that it was engaging or do you think they probably just didn't even need to bother with it?
1: Well, I I would say he, like... I wrote down in my notes, yes, he definitely is a Ferengi. Right? <laughs> because he made that note that like all trades were final. I thought it was very odd that he would make that mistake. Yeah. That he would trade him that crystal, like was he really that thrown off that it was like covered in dirt and dust? I don't know. I find that kinda hard to believe.
0: It was it was definitely the part where you realize like, oh, they're definitely gonna give this guy give it back to him later for information or for the answer to get around the whole neuro interface
1: well yeah it was gonna be it was gonna play in somehow because otherwise if neelix is sitting in the mess hall all dejected because he bought all this useless junk that's just sitting on the table or or what did he call them like cultural uh icons <laughs> yeah. or something yeah
0: cultural uh... like total
1: total cell job there But then Seven's like, oh, uh, but don't you, like, oh, this is actually quite valuable. They would, you know, so-and-so in sector whatever would trade a whole fleet of starships for this. Like, it just seemed like a mistake that a guy like that wouldn't make. And, you know, because because of that, it's like, okay, well, that's going to factor in somehow. Because they're going to need him for something and they're going to be like, look what you forgot or accidentally traded us. We'll give it back to you if you help us. Right.
0: And I mean, it was definitely like they it had nothing, they were, they hadn't mentioned anything. And then it was just like a random 20 seconds right in the middle where it was like, ah, I don't think they didn't, they showed that for no reason. So I, yeah, it definitely was a little too obvious. I think they maybe could have, they maybe could have just kept it as like unknown, right? They could have went back and then Neelix, because he's like such a man of commerce, would have ident- noticed it and then like whipped it out at the last minute and we'd all be Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that it was actually really valuable.
1: Well, and also because, like, it wasn't something that, like, they needed on the ship. It was just this crystal.
0: Right, just a trinket, basically.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: All right, now, I mean, obviously the biggest, most important part of this episode is Ensign Paris and his relationship with this ship, which he names Alice after a... I guess relationship that didn't work out the one that got away and I don't have much to say other than like it's really good I think that the acting here is spot on I I think the kind of slow descent into obsession is really well done I think the interactions with a you know permed hair B'Elanna is (laughs) is really good
1: are we gonna to have to start the Torres Meter uh today <laughs>
0: I, I don't know I don't know if we need to start doing that, but yeah, I think that like his actions are very believable, and when he eventually snaps, like there's that scene in the hallway where he kind of snaps at Bellana, and it's like, oh my goodness, like Robert Duncan McNeil does not get enough credit in my opinion. I think that th- this is great because if he doesn't do this perfectly. This episode is terrible, cheesy, like throw it in with Threshold and all the junky ones that we always make fun of. But because the acting is done in such a, a kind of nuanced way, I actually feel like it really makes this episode kind of a, a notch above.
1: Well, you, the thing that I would say is something that you, you know you touched on is, is the slow descent into complete obsession. Um, and I think you're absolutely right that Duncan, Robert Duncan McNeil did a pretty really good job... Acting in this episode, I think Roxanne Dawson deserves uh, quite a bit of credit as well. Um, I think she played sort of the, I guess you could say, scorned girlfriend who got put aside in favor of a car or a shuttle in this case. I thought she played that pretty well. Like, she, there were some scenes where she was like pretty pissed acting the way you would expect uh, uh, someone in that situation to act it's interesting that you know these two went on to become better known for like their directing and you know here we have an episode where we get pretty pretty good acting from from both of them I, I thought they were both really really good in this episode and like you say if the descent into obsession isn't gradual like it was and if Robert Duncan McNeil does like a mediocre or or bad acting job. Like this episode had some, it could have been pretty pretty cheeseball because you would get into sort of the cliche relationshipy kind of stuff. But the acting, I think, sort of took it to a, a level where it's like, wow, this is this is engaging and this is this is uh, very interesting.
0: Yeah, and I guess so. Is is Alice a hallucinization or is it kind of something more? embedded. I mean, it's never really said and there's a lot of scenes where people are saying, what are you looking at? Or, or what are you staring at? But, I feel like it's supposed to just kind of be like in your head. Like after you've neurointerface, you start having a hallucinization of whatever thing that you think about. The only thing that kind of maybe goes against that is that the same actress played the female human Alice that Paris sees as well as the one that Abaddon sees later when he kind of starts to help Voyager. Um, So do you think that the ship was really actually alive and imprinting them on their brains or was it just kind of like what their imagination had seen or is it just best left as like, uh, you know, our imagination?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's one thing that kind of, when we get to the end, we'll we'll have to come back to this, but um, I, I don't know. I think it was just a hallucination that was in their head because like you said, there was that scene where Abaddon was like, they came back and they're like, hey, what, what's up with this ship that you traded us? And he was seeing like an alien version of like the same person. So it makes me think that like, maybe somehow the neural interface like left some residual thing in your brain that made you see these things. Like the, like the, the female, or I guess if it was a female pilot, maybe it would be like a, a man version of the, influence like i don't know it was kind of a hard thing to wrap your head around but i think it was somehow the interface left some sort of thing in your head that made you see this uh like manifestation of the the ship but i mean they don't really explain it
0: no and i really kind of like it better that way because then it's more of a it could kind of go either way like if i think it's more in her head in the head but you think it's more of the ship then we can both just kind of think that and it's never really explained sometimes your less is more right where if you try to explain exactly the way that it worked and Voyager's the worst for that with like the techno babbly kind of explanation <laughs> um it kind of makes it worse you know
1: yeah like in general i don't mind that they leave it unexplained but at the end it kind of falls apart a little bit and we can maybe get back to that when we get to the ending
0: okay uh, yeah, perfect um now one of the other things that i just kind of want to talk about briefly is that they mentioned that uh, the only reason why paris was picked and abaddon wasn't was that paris was a true pilot and that this particular ship wanted the best pilot in order to to do this mission
1: yeah abaddon's reflexes were too slow <laughs> <Apparently>. <laughs> Right. <laughs> poor guy
0: yeah uh now i mean not really a trivia question but more of a personal question who is your favorite pilot in Star Trek, or maybe who is the best pilot? Is it Riker? Is it Paris, Sulu, Dedimer? Who is your favorite pilot?
1: Hmm, this is an interesting question, because, like, Paris is without a doubt the most self-promoting great pilot. (laughs) It's funny, I don't know if um, you or the listeners are are listening to the Delta Flyers podcast, but um, there was, like, several early episodes where... You know, he would have lines like, oh, but I'm such a great pilot or, yeah, right. or I'm the best pilot you could ever have. And so he's not shy about promoting how great a pilot he is and he thinks that he's a really great pilot. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, these guys are like flying these ginormous starships.
0: Yeah. How hard is it? Right.
1: Well, not, not like how hard is it, but like what makes a great pilot, you know?
0: Well, you know what? I'm going to quote one of my favorite John Cena lines, which is, uh, if you're really good at something, you will go around telling everybody. When you're great at something, they'll tell you. And so if we're using that kind of like uh, bar to measure, if Paris is always talking about how great he is, then that would probably mean that Riker is the better pilot, because uh, if you remember... Riker very rarely ever kind of brought it up, but it was always being brought up by the people around him. Uh, You know, like uh, the Admiral who knew him or his friends would always be saying, like, Riker is the best pilot.
1: Chain of command, right? Like Jellicoe, that's like one where that's pretty blatant, where he's like he's talking to Jordy about the the mission they need the shuttle for and he's like are you can you fly this mission and LaForge is like I can do it but if you the man you want on this ship is Will Riker right and to me that kind of is maybe a notch above like i
0: i think that Paris is probably you know he he's probably like the cockiest and you know he would want to 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 probably you know, go in and, and, and do the whatever, like the the trench run of, of Star Wars or whatever, but I think that the fact that Riker is kind of so modest about it says a lot, uh, and I mean there's never been really a case where he didn't kind of raise, rise to the challenge so for me I'd probably say Riker, even though it's not maybe the most obvious pick I, I definitely think and appreciate that everybody else is kind of mentioning that he's the best.
1: We need a short treks where it's like Paris versus Riker. <laughs> yeah. Settle it once and for all.
0: They can, it's from the, remember that episode, The Race? It'll be like, they could do that again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Seinfeld, where they, uh, what was the guy's name? I forget.
0: Oh, yes, when they, they he, Jerry leaves uh, early off of the. Um, you got the head start, of but the, no one noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the
1: one guy like suspected him for all those years. I forget his name. That's going to bug me. But anyways, it'll come is, to
0: you as soon as you stop thinking. As um,
1: soon as we turn the record button off, that'll, that's when I'll we'll remember.
0: Exactly. Now, <laughs> speaking of uh, first officers, I think that this is really a beautiful, smartly done little thing. Uh, when Paris needs the supplies, so he's going to, he needs these certain things for the ship in order to get it running. Um, he goes to Chicote, not to Janeway. Such a small little thing but I feel like these older Treks, they had an appreciation for kind of who was in charge of what. And so like that's too menial for Janeway to deal with. And so you go to Chicote, who has his own office and has his own space, um, in order to ask for that particular thing. Do you think that is lost in New Trek? And do you wish that the first officer maybe had more administrative responsibilities in the newer shows? Because I feel like that is just dead and gone.
1: It's uh, definitely a different dynamic in the newer series, um, but yeah, this is something that was like consistently done in the this sort of era of Star Trek, where you know the first officer was really like the the manager of the ship, I guess in a way. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about even Deep Space Nine, like how many times did Odo go to Kira and be like, "Oh, there's the this cargo base full of." Uh, uh like mole infested cargo what should i do with it or uh quark is like illegally imported this stuff and it's just sitting in the cargo bay like what should i do with it and it's the same on next generation where you know rikers he's always doing the crew evaluation reports um and and, the duty roster list yeah exactly he's always like you know mentioning the the duty roster and the and the crew evaluations and then here we have chakotay um, you know, basically managing the supplies on the ship and, and you know, uh, telling a dejected Paris that, no, you can't have this and, and this this thing that you need and that thing that you need. We need those in case there's an emergency and blah, blah, blah. And I thought it was pretty, pretty cool, you know? I think that that's... And it sort of makes sense. Like, you think the captain's got time to deal with all this, like, menial stuff? No, of course not. They're the captain. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a cool scene. Now, one thing that I noted... Did they have to shave on the ship on Voyager? Because he remember he told Paris to like, he goes, "I'd appreciate it if you shaved and like, change back into your uniform." Because I don't, I don't, I don't think I remember seeing any bearded uh, crew members on Voyager. So maybe they have like a maybe Janeway's got like this strict dress code.
0: Well, I mean, like Riker had a beard and Worf had a goatee and stuff. So I don't think that it's necessarily that you can't have facial hair, but it was just more the fact that. He had like the scruffy look and he was kind of looking run down and unkempt. Uh, I wonder, or, or maybe Voyagers like the New York Yankees.
1: Well, that's what I, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like maybe Janeway just like has something against beards. And so he's like, nope, no beards on my ship. You guys got to shave. Because I don't think I can remember seeing a Voyager crew member with a beard. I could be wrong.
0: Although it's not very progressive, really. Like it, it's it's something that, it's a slippery slope, right? Because then, you know, you're going to start, making them have their hair a certain way and stuff as well. So I think it's just more the fact that he had kind of let himself go, which was the, one of the reasons why he had already lost his rank anyway. Like Paris is an interesting one because he always is kind of rebelling against the the man, the system, even though he's a big part of the system. So uh, yeah, interesting. I wonder if that's in like the, uh, the Voyager guidebook or handbook.
1: Remember when he, like, changed out of his uniform and it was just, like, covered in, like, filth and <laughs> yeah, dust? Yeah, exactly. And he took his comm badge off and he, like, blew, like, a huge cloud of dust off of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I that was a little bit much. But, it, you know, it made the point. It did, That yeah. he'd been kind of, like, you know, rummaging around with this ship for a long time and, you know, got pretty, pretty dirty in the process. I, I, it was kind of funny.
0: Yeah, and I mean it's the moral of this story I mean and and I guess this this is kind of the big piece right like this is the most important part is is what is this is this kind of a sci-fi take on addiction to drugs uh, is it addiction to technology you know cell phones is it both uh, right like somebody getting obsessed with something uh, going through withdrawal struggling with having their relationships and starting to steal from it to in order to kind of uh you know to meet the drug i guess um what was your take did you kind of see this as as like a a take on addiction or or what or is it just a story you know like what what was your thought
1: i think i would say that it's maybe not specific to drugs but i think it's kind of a message about like when you when you become obsessive about something this is you know, this is how it can affect you and this is how it can be bad for your health and bad for your relationships and and whatnot. I mean, it it predates cell phones because it was 99. So, but I mean, technology, but yeah, computers, I guess, is a a reasonable uh, thing at that point in time. So I think it's, I think maybe it's more about, Just obsession of with with things that are kind of trivial in the grand scheme of things and how it can influence and impact, you know, your relationships with the people that are important to you.
0: Right. And I mean, that is the most important piece. And I don't know that we get a very satisfying conclusion because to me. It's kind of like the doctor comes in at the end, he's going to do the suicide run into the stream for reasons and we don't get any real payoff to that addiction, right? He they say that it's going to take a little bit for him to kind of recover, but you know, they do the magical technobabbley kind of thing and next thing you know, the episode's over. Did you think they just ran out of time here or do you think that they maybe missed an opportunity to do something a little bit better
1: well the ending was definitely a bit unsatisfying um i think it was kind of a clever way of kind of breaking him away from this by like sneaking in torres like sort of in his brain i guess because i guess like they sort of tapped into the computer of the ship and then had her appear in his mind so that she could sort of talk sense into him
0: okay i didn't piece that together so that's kind of, that is kind of cool
1: i thought that was clever but um i mean we talked about you know what is the you know what is the ship and how is it controlling his mind and i mean they, it's okay that they leave that unexplained until you get to the ending because then you like the question that i'm asking myself is why is this ship that has like its own a mind of its own why is it going to fly into this particle fountain thing and blow up, like I—I I mean, I think at one point she said, "Oh, we're—we've—we've we've returned home," but like, if the ship is the, per, like, if the ship has its own like personality or whatever, and it flies into this thing and it blows up, like, isn't the personality gonna like die with the ship? Like, they, like this—this this is the kinds of things that were going through my head in this ending, and that's why I found it unsatisfying because it just. It was a lot of questions and and not really a satisfying ending.
0: Or was it that it was an alien that was trapped in the ship and they lived in the stream, and so then they were trying to get back to there or something to that effect? It's never really kind of explained. And uh, it's not that it's bad. It's just kind of like it abruptly ends and then you're left with a couple of questions and some credits to read while you you ponder them. I I don't know that... (laughs) it's a great ending, but the setup and the beginning and everything was really good. So yeah, interesting, but I, I don't know. My take on it was that maybe it was an alien that got into the neural interface and got trapped there or something similar to what we've seen before, right? Like a beam of light or something gets stuck in it. And then, uh, it, needed to get back to there and so then it needed a pilot to do it but it wouldn't really take an expert pilot to literally just drive to where it is and drive into it
1: yeah abaddon couldn't have done that like how bad of a pilot is he
0: right (laughs) or like if the ship was turned on couldn't it just say oh by the way like i'm an alien trapped and i just want to drive there and go into there i don't know uh that part wasn't really great but as a whole i think the episode was pretty good
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought of, like, maybe they could have, like, you know how they have that, like, makeup scene in sick bay right at the end where Mm -hmm. Torres and Paris kind of, you know, they they make up and everything. I was kind of thinking, like, what if, like, I don't know, the captain or Ensign Kim, like, comes in and, like, kind of just in, like, 30 seconds comes up with some, you know, some sort of explanation as to what was going on with this ship. And then they leave and then you have Paris and Torres make up. I mean, that's, I think, the only way you maybe could have had a chance to explain what exactly was going on. But I don't know. On the one hand, it is kind of cool to leave it to your imagination. But I think just the way that the ending came around, it it kind of leaves you with a lot of questions. And it was
0: very original series with like Paris looking into the camera and being like, we're just friends when they talk about the Delta flyer. (laughs) I was like, I could totally see Kirk saying that line. All right, Matt, we've only got two guest stars this week. I think they were both pretty good. Um, The first one is, of course, Alice, who plays uh, the ship. Uh, And apparently, Claire Rankin, she's a Canadian, so obviously we like her a little bit more than the average person. But uh, she was also in Stargate Atlantis, so she has a little uh, recurring role in that show. Um, What did you think of Alice? Did you think that she was good or just was one of those characters that fit fit the role?
1: I thought it was pretty good, actually. I thought that um, it was well-played, sort of, that she tried to, like, be friendly, I guess, at the beginning. And then as Paris became more and more attached, she became a little bit more, I guess, aggressive and pushed him around a little bit more. And I thought that that was pretty good. And I thought that that scene in the conference room where she was, like, the the Abaddon alien version was actually pretty good, too, because I, I was... Like, Abaddon was, like, legitimately freaked out when she appeared, and I actually believed, like, just the way that she, like, talked to him in that scene, that, like, he he was, like, legitimately, like, f- fearful of this, uh, this like, alien thing in his head.
0: Yeah, and, and what did you think of Abaddon? So, I didn't realize, but did you know that this was the same guy that played silic in... Uh, Enterprise? Remember the... kind of I don't even know what they were called. That kind of like... Zulaban. Zulaban guy. Uh, He was kind of one of the little mini villains, I guess, uh, in the early days. Uh, What were your thoughts on Abaddon, and did you recognize that it was Silic or no?
1: With uh, John Fleck, and he's actually been in Deep Space... He was actually in Deep Space Nine and Next Generation as well. Uh, He has a very distinctive voice, and so I recognized the voice uh, almost immediately. I thought Abaddon was it was kind of a different role for John Fleck because he has this, he's playing Abaddon, which is this like um, inviting uh, sort of, you know, Ferengi like uh, sort of traitor, which is very different from like John Fleck in, in Deep Space Nine and Next Generation, he played Romulan, which Romulans are always very treacherous and duplicitous and villainous. And, um, he was very different in this one, and Silic was like that too. He was like a villain, right? And Abaddon was a very kind of different character, so it was kind of interesting to see John Fleck playing a, a different character than you than any of his other ones.
0: Yeah, I thought they were both good. They, I mean, this is about as normal of an episode as Voyager as you can get, and I mean the the guest stars here. Are... They fit the bill, they, they do a good job, they're entertaining. I don't have much to add to it, and I don't really have much on the production side either. Um, this is the first time that we hear Neelix's ship name, which is the Baxial, and it's kind of based around or the inspired by the book Christine by Stephen King, uh, which I mean is essentially the same thing, a car that gains consciousness and, and goes crazy. Um, Did you happen to find anything kind of interesting about this episode or is this just a Tuesday night meat and potatoes kind of episode of Voyager?
1: It's certainly uh, just like a run, like I don't want to say run of the mill, but it's, you know, you got to remember that by season six of Voyager, this, you know, very much the same group of writers and producers have been doing this for like over 10 years now. And, you know, I think that they, by this time, they can, you know, churn out episodes pretty efficiently. You know, this is, you know, I think by the time you get to late Voyager, it's very, you know, it's very tidy work that they're doing. And so there isn't probably a whole lot of interesting stuff out there for a lot of these episodes, because I imagine it was getting pretty routine for them at this point. I wanted to mention, uh, now I didn't know that this was based on a Stephen King novel until after I'd watched it and it doesn't surprise me one bit because that middle section of the episode where Paris is slowly sort of losing his mind a bit and becoming more and more obsessive about this thing it definitely felt to me like you know a Stephen King kind of plot uh
0: yeah I would definitely agree with that
1: I'm not a I don't I haven't read a huge amount of Stephen King but this is sort of it does have that kind of eerie kind of feel to it
0: yeah and i mean i think that if you're going to kind of do something like that it's probably worthwhile to do something that is not like super well known like i don't think that's one of stephen king's major well-known pieces i know that there was a movie and, and everything but i don't think that it's up there in terms of one of the ones that everybody knows so i mean that's probably a good one to do like if you did pet cemetery or if you did carry or something i feel like maybe it would be a little bit like too much obvious. yeah too obvious <laughs> so i think that it is i think that they did a good job of, of using christine w- what are your overall kind of thoughts on the episode as a whole um now knowing all the stuff that you know now that you've rewatched it did you have a memorable scene and give me a final rating out of five beryllium crystals
1: I think for me, the most memorable scene is probably that scene in the corridor where Paris and Torres are like having it out because of the intensity of it and because of how great the acting was in that scene. I think that's probably the one that sticks out to me the most. Um, As far as a line, I'm going to go right back to the beginning when they first come across this like junk heap and, you know, Tuvok goes to like red alert or whatever because he thinks there might be hostile and uh paris goes uh it's a junkyard congratulations tuvok you just saved us from a hotel flotilla of hostile trash (laughs) i thought that was a pretty good pretty funny line yeah it's pretty Uh, good just flotilla of hostile trash is just a hilarious phrase um as far as like you know summing up the episode um it's pretty solid um i think the premise is really interesting that you have this ship that sort of takes over paris's mind and he becomes completely obsessive about it Uh, i thought there was some really good acting moments that we talked about um i'm not crazy about the sort of grease monkey trope but i mean paris spits the bill on it and i thought he i thought he did a pretty pretty good job with it and um the ending was kind of the the one thing that i guess kind of was not so great in this episode it kind of fell apart a little bit and I think maybe and we mentioned this maybe they just kind of ran out of runway a little bit kind of run into some time constraints but um, I'm going to give this episode uh, three beryllium crystals out of five Um, certainly a memorable one because it has an interesting premise and uh, you know just a solid episode overall
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. This is one that I feel like I didn't have any trouble watching. It was enjoyable from beginning to end. The end's a little bit eh, but, I mean, I think the acting is good. The guest stars are good. It's an interesting idea. Uh, It's one that, you know, you could just pop on and and just enjoy for 40 minutes while you're cooking dinner or while you're, uh, you know, winding down at the end of the day. I think that you're probably right on the money with three out of five for the beryllium crystals it's not anything that is going to blow anybody's mind but it's also not offensive or boring or anything like that so it's kind of right in the middle i feel like we've had a lot of voyager episodes where we've said that exact thing but there's nothing wrong with it either uh you know sometimes i watch picard or or discovery and i get so frustrated this is not that this is going to be an episode where it just kind of scratches you right Uh, you know, in that itchy Star Trek spot. And really, I don't have any problems with that at all. Uh, My favorite line is a weird one, just because it kind of made me think a little bit. Um, There's a line where Paris is talking about the ship and they're saying how, you know, it's not quite like what they had seen. And Paris says, yeah, they probably rolled the odometer back. And it's not really a great line, but it started making me think that, like, how many other people on the ship would, A, know what an odometer is, and, B, know that in the past, when you were trying to sell a car, if you wanted to get more money for it, you could, like, put the tires back so that the odometer would be less, so it would seem like the car had less miles on it, because there was a time where the number of miles on a car was worth, changed the value. Like, it's such an odd, obscure little thing. But then I also think about how we use terms like that all the time, right? Rule of thumb and all the little euphemisms that we've kind of picked up. A lot of time we don't actually know where they're from, but we use them just as kind of uh, pieces of conversation. And so I thought that was really interesting. I, I like that he said it, and I like that nobody was really... Nobody, said it, nobody skipped a beat, they just kind of went on with it. So that's my favorite line, and uh, yeah, a solid outing from Voyager. All right, Matt, it is the Red Alert Siren, which, of course, means it is time to draw a new episode. Uh, we're into the festive holiday season, uh, so I will reach into the big old Santa hat of episodes here, pull out a nice, fresh episode. Do you have any hopes, wishes, dreams for your episode this week? Um, how about a lower deck? I would like a little... I like that just for the sake of the time. You know, so we can have a bit more time to do our Christmas shopping and, uh, you know, (laughs) put the garland up and everything. It would be nice to have a little 20-minute episode. But as I dig into here, you're not going to get it. Oh, shucks. But I feel like you're going to get it. Um, This is one that, yeah, you're going to get it for sure. Uh, You might not be super happy about it, but (laughs) I think that you will be able to get the points when it comes about it is uh from deep space nine it is early days it's season one it's episode 11 it's the negus
1: oh okay so
0: matt is going to uh jot down some ideas here uh we've talked about this episode actually uh in the past so i think that matt's going to at least get the bits and the pieces here um if you remember this one give us a call in or give us a write-in uh you can find us at randomtrekreview.blogspot.com. You can find us over at Um And uh, yeah, we would love to hear from you. So uh, Matt's going to get 60 seconds here. He's going to try to remember any characters that show up. He should at least get one. Uh, and if he can remember what happened in the episode, The Nagus. Uh, Matt, I'm assuming you're feeling pretty confident here?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I had this one on tape when I was... Uh you know, young, so I probably watched it more than some others.
0: All right, well, let's see if you can do it succinctly and get all the bits and pieces. So you've got 60 seconds on the clock, and please tell us about the Nagus.
1: All right, this episode features Wallace Shawn as the Nagus, who is the leader of the Ferengi Alliance, and he comes to Deep Space Nine with a very curious announcement, and I believe he, like, puts Quark in charge of like all the trading and wheeling and dealing in the gamma quadrant. I feel like there was like some big thing going down and he wanted Quark to be like in charge of it. Um, oh man, I, there's like some B story, but I have, I I can't really remember what it, what it was. I feel like Rom is also in this episode. Um, and a whole bunch of, like, other Ferengi, and I think there was, like, they were, like, plotting against Quark, because they didn't want, think he should be in charge, and I think they might have even, like, tried to kill him, um, so there's, you know, a big kerfuffle at the end, and Quark ends up being saved, and then it turns out, I think the Nagus, like, it was just all a test anyways, and so they, you know, he wanted to see how they would react.
0: Yeah, that's it, man. The only piece I think that you're missing was that it was a test for Zek. Remember, Zek was like um, his right-hand man or something, and so I think it was an elaborate ploy to see what he would do in a scenario where Quark was in charge or if the Nagus was or not. Wasn't
1: right. it like his son? And his son like assumed that he would be the next Nagus, but then he told Quark, it was like Quark yeah. was going to be, and so he got jealous
0: yeah that's that's his son right zek or am i thinking of i think zek
1: is the nagus but i think it was his son that was like ne- he thought his, his son was like ne- oh his son was like next in line but then when he said Clark yeah, was exactly. gonna be the next nagus he got all jealous and but it turned right. out to be a test anyway
0: yes exactly i think that you're right on man um i do not love the nagus i do not oh. love <laughs> well, this is gonna be this interesting episode. <laughs> um but we will have to wait and see you'll have to kind of tune in in 2 weeks time maybe it's grown on me it hasn't i saw this episode recently um but <laughs> let's uh let's wait a fortnight and uh we will yeah we will decide uh if it uh, is a thumbs up or a thumbs down early season deep space 9 we we've done emissary we've done um, a couple episodes in this realm, and you know as well as I do, it's kind of touch and go. So um, we will have to wait and see uh, if this is uh, one of the one of the good ones. So uh, until next time, uh, when we see you again, it'll be right at uh, Christmas time. So happy holidays, everybody, and uh, we will see you very shortly for the
1: next. So long, folks.
0: This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer: List other available Sweet media programs. Loading Sweet preview program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast.
1: But I just want I wish that more
0: straight cis white guys said things like that and realized things like
1: that, and I please continue to, to try and show them the way <laughs> I try. And of course, I have responsibility too. I am, I am cisgender and I am white, you know. Even though I'm, I'm a homo, so, uh, I think that's great, Nick. I think we should just wrap the show now and end on that note. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, thank you.
0: Loading Hollow preview program for the Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Before that timepiece stopped working. Mm-hmm, that really because ugly. he saw it in
1: the shop window. That really ugly timepiece.
0: When I first watched it, I thought, okay, yes, this is a clock that maybe somebody puts on their desk or
1: mm-hmm. on a
0: wall somewhere. But later we see somebody pull the same thing out of their pocket. Do they not have watches? <laughs>
1: yeah. oh, it's like one of those like huge clunky mobile phones that all they ever did was like call people. It's like, nope, this is just a big clock for my pocket.
0: It's something that Flavor Flav should be wearing around his neck. It's that big and obnoxious. Is that a clock in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me?
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, it's it's just a clock. It's most definitely yeah. a clock. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Loading Sweet Preview Program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery Podcast. Look at previous star trek series where they appealed to the male
1: gaze mm-hmm. you had seven of nine you had just those episodes T'Pol. of mm-hmm. enterprise yeah to paul when they're in their little decompression chamber or yeah. whatever when, yeah mm-hmm. when they're yeah in their let's undies. objectify the male a little bit around yeah, now. yeah equal <laughs> it's nice to change it up
0: right see if you're gonna objectify a woman then you've got to objectify a man to balance it out because then right. it's not it's
1: about time no
0: kidding <laughs>